Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Hello and welcome to the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons podcast series. My name is Trevor North and I will be serving as the host for today's podcast. I am a practicing orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip and knee replacement in Detroit, Michigan, and I'm a member of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons Patient Education Committee. The role of the committee is to provide educational material to patients who suffer with conditions such as hip and knee arthritis, and the podcast content can be found at hipknee.aahks.org. And tonight we are fortunate to have one of my colleagues, Dr. Mark Giska, here to talk about pain and joint replacement. He's a senior staff anesthesiologist and a specialist in regional anesthesia and acute pain medicine with me at Henry Ford Hospital. He's also an assistant professor at the Wayne State School of Medicine. Our topic today is pain and as it relates to joint replacement and our goal is to help provide you information about pain and joint replacement, the anesthetic process and how surgeons and anesthesiologists work as a team to help minimize pain and improve outcomes following joint replacement. So Mark, Welcome and thanks for joining me today to discuss pain and how it relates to joint replacement. Yeah, and looking forward to the discussion. So we're going to get into how and why managing pain around the time of joint replacement is so important. But first, I'd like to take just a little step back and try and discuss what pain is and how people perceive pain. So Mark, how would you describe in basic terms what pain is and, and how someone might perceive pain? Right, and I like how you said perceive pain there because pain for each person is different. I mean, if you think about the way pain works, basically usually it starts with some sort of tissue injury that the body senses in the periphery, like in the skin or in the joint or in the muscle. And then kind of that damage gets sensed by our nervous system, it sends a signal up the nerves to the spinal cord and then the spinal cord kind of relays that signal up to the uh, lower parts of the brain and then to the upper parts of the brain, the conscious part of the brain. So there's multiple, I got switches along the way and then that pathway of pain. And then from when the body senses that initial injury until the conscious mind kind of senses or perceives that pain. And in our case, when you're talking about this tissue trauma, Really, we're talking about surgery, right? It's a tissue trauma, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And then I guess pain doesn't sound like a great thing to have. No one likes to have pain. In your mind, why do people have pain at all? Well, I would say, I mean, it starts uh, probably, if you think about in our earlier evolution or before we became these advanced humans, it's kind of just like an early warning system. Hey, this body part's just injured. And kind of the body kind of teaches ourselves to not re-injure it. If you think about if you get injured or you cut yourself or you get burnt on a stovetop, you kind of wince and you kind of pull that body part away from the thing that caused the injury. So it's kind of a necessary way we adapted over time. Our bodies adapted over time again. And with surgery, though, it's an expected injury. It can kind of interfere, I guess, and 
the healing process if it you know our bodies are wired to kind of not push through the pain but with surgery it's an expected form of pain and a lot of times it can kind of get in the way of rehab if that pain's really bothering us so in a way as physicians we want people not just to uh, have good pain control not just because we care about them want them to have like a better experience but can also kind of interfere with the healing process or the recovery process as well okay great great i think for a long time, the patients and doctors really viewed the end of a surgical experience, so the end of an operation, as the starting point for when pain management starts. Is that your view? Is it just pain medications after surgery for the experience of pain management in current medicine today? I would say that was our thinking maybe a few years ago or a few decades ago, but we have medications now that can kind of affect the way the body initially reacts towards pain. And so really pain management kind of begins even before surgery. Okay, so that is some of the reason why we're giving preoperative medications ahead of time. And oftentimes we're using multiple different classes of medications, correct? I would agree 100%. These different classes of medications that we have affect the body at different points in that pain pathway. When those are in place or those already in our GI tract or in our body, they can kind of calm down the body. Once it senses the pain, it can kind of reduce the strength of the signal that is related to the spinal cord in the brain, kind of preemptively in a way. Okay, I like that idea, sort of cutting it off before or at least partially blocking it before pain even becomes an issue. What about some of the anesthetic techniques? So we talked a little bit about immediately before surgery. Are there different anesthetic techniques that you as an anesthesiologist around the time of joint replacement surgery? And do they have differing impacts on how someone perceives pain or develops pain after surgery? Yeah, so I would say first we have a few ways to kind of, uh, again, affect that, that pain pathway or kind of block the signals, those bad pain signals that go through the brain. First of all, the type of anesthesia called neuraxial anesthesia. Neuraxial meaning nervous and axial kind of being referring to the spine. So with spinals or epidurals, if those are in place before the surgery starts, having those numbed up hips or knees, again, the body doesn't sense those nerves. They don't relay the signal back to the brain. They do eventually, but kind of that signal is blocked. So again, the pain sensation isn't as strong as it would have otherwise. We also have a different technique called a nerve block or peripheral nerve block. Works a little bit different than like a spinal or epidural. Those are done further away from the spine, kind of on a, um, especially for knee surgery, done kind of above the knee and on the thigh. What those do, instead of blocking like the whole lower body, they can block kind of the pain sensation going from one knee to the brain. So it's a little less invasive that way. Our patients seem to tolerate that pretty well, actually. So that's some of the intraoperative things that happens with the anesthesia team, the different uh, anesthetic techniques and the blocks that Mark mentioned, and then some other things that are employed from the surgical standpoint. You know, there's a fair amount of literature out there about minimally invasive surgery, and really what that talks about is not necessarily a smaller incision, but our attempt to reduce tissue trauma during the surgery itself to minimize the pain postoperatively. And then many surgeons will often do some type of a local infiltration of medication around the surgical tissues 
uh, to minimize that pain or block some of that pain, like Marcus sort of pointed out, after the surgery itself. So we've talked very briefly about the preoperative options, intraoperative options, and then what about in the recovery room, Mark? What kind of things are we using for people from an anesthesia standpoint in the postoperative recovery room, and how do we try and manage people's pain at that point? Right. So I would say, first of all, just a little fashion. I don't know if the audience has heard of rice, but basically rice, rest, ice compression, elevation, Mm -hmm. just good old fashioned non-medication pain relief techniques. So a lot of times, even before they leave the operating room, the patients have a nice bag of ice on their joint, kind of reduce the swelling, reduce the inflammation. They'll have like a pillow underneath the affected joint as well to kind of provide elevation. Again, prevent kind of the swelling that can kind of interfere with recovery. Not only that, but then also if the patient didn't receive a nerve block before the surgery, certainly have it be an option as well in the recovery area. And these nerve blocks actually, we'll talk about it in I think another segment as well, but there's certain types of peripheral nerve blocks where we can insert some tubing and extend the duration of that nerve block as well for up to to three days or five days as well. Thanks, Mark. That's a great overview. I really enjoyed the discussion thus far, which has really served as an overview of the management of pain and the anesthetic options for joint replacement surgery. In the next segment of the management of pain and joint replacement series, Mark and I will discuss the anesthetic event and how this works to reduce pain in joint replacement. We hope that you'll join us. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.